We are in the series on the health and the mission of the church, taking time to make sure that uh, we, we never veer from what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about, because that happens. And it's easy for churches uh, to become something that we're not meant to be. So we always need to be taking our cues from Scripture. What is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? And so then, that's why we're, talk, we're talking about the health and the mission of the church. In the message from last week, we talked about that the ultimate purpose of everything is the glory of God. And that is the purpose of us as a, a local church as well. We want to see Jesus Christ lifted up. We want to see him glorified, everything pointing to Jesus Christ and his, and his glory. And therefore, everything else that we do, whether it's evangelism, whether it's discipleship, is for that ultimate goal of the Lord being glorified. So, our mission statement uh, that we talk about, that we have in the bulletin, of magnifying God and doing that through uh, multiplying and maturing followers of Christ. What we're talking about today is uh, one of these key things, which is discipleship. And we think about what is the mission of our church. We don't have to make something up. We don't have to wonder what it should be because we have really clear instructions from the Lord himself that he gave to the, the, uh, the, the first disciples, the, the apostles, telling them what uh, they were supposed to do, what we are supposed to do. So if we're thinking about what the church is supposed to be, we uh, cannot ignore the main thing, the great commission that uh, the Lord has given to us, which is found at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus states to the disciples and to uh, his uh, church, that he's creating, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, this is part of discipleship, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I'm with you always to the end of the age closing words of of Matthew's gospel for us so we think about what is a disciple we're supposed to make disciples be about doing this Uh, a disciple is a a follower of Christ a learner a disciple is not the same thing as an apostle Uh, the apostles were ones that were sent with a special authority from the Lord they were a temporary position for the the foundational era of the church uh, the church is built on the foundation the, of, of the apostles with Christ as the chief cornerstone. And uh, so you had the original apostles. Uh, we don't have a chance of being an apostle, okay, and, and that's okay. They had a, a specific function, uh, but we are called to, to be disciples. And the word disciple literally means follower or, or learner, and that's what we mean when we talk about making disciples, so in Jesus' time, you would have different rabbis, and a rabbi was a teacher, and they would, they would have their disciples. So these are terms that uh, Jesus' uh, followers, they would have understood this as they're following around Jesus Christ uh, as, as the rabbi and realizing he's more than just a rabbi. He is the, uh, the, the son of God, the God-man. He had died for them. He had risen uh, from the dead, having God's stamp of approval that he really is who he claims to be. And so, uh, in those days, when there was a rabbi with disciples, uh, the, their disciples would literally follow around the rabbi. Uh, so, followers in a very literal sense, too, uh, but also following them with their, with their life. They would learn from the rabbi. That was part of it as well. So, uh, there was uh, 
cognitive things. It was things about their thinking. There was, there was information and life together. And the goal was to become like the rabbi, like your teacher. So they're to be transformed into more the image of who their rabbi was. And I think these are helpful things for us to keep in mind when we think about what discipleship is. We're following the Lord. We're learning from him and we're becoming like Jesus Christ. And I think as we get into this, we're going to see these things uh, fleshed out in our study here. Let me give you a statement about just a, a healthy church. And there's so much we could say about discipleship. Uh, we can't say everything this morning, but I want to give some just you know, key things that will hopefully help us to stay on target with what we're supposed to be. So a healthy church has members who are continuously growing in their knowledge, love, and obedience to God's word. We're going to be talking about discipleship, what it means to follow, and connected with this, with God's word. And what it means, if we're going to be a healthy church, what we need to understand and believe about, about this, about the Bible, the scriptures that God has given us, Old and New Testament together, Genesis through Revelation, uh, because these things are uh, connected in a way that you cannot take these things apart. If we're going to learn from Jesus what he is like, we have to be looking at scripture. That's how we see him, that's how he communicates to us, not just the red letters, but the whole thing, Genesis through Revelation. So talk about this as far as the a statement with our, our, our health that continuously growing, we're going to be talking about that. It's knowledge, it's love, it's obedience and to God through his word. We're not saying the Bible detached from God. We believe the Bible is God's word. And so when we listen from scripture, we're listening to God himself. Now I got two points for you. If you're following along in the, the outline, I hope you are. I think it's helpful to, for remembering. And these really are going to connect with what is our mission? What are we supposed to do? Jesus told us to make disciples. So I'm going to kind of split this as a sentence in two parts. First part of the sentence, we are called to make continuously growing followers of Christ. Disciples that are they're continuously growing. So Jesus tells us, make disciples. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, this means just getting people saved. Making sure that they are, they've, they've turned to Christ, they trust him, they're saved, and, and there you go, that's it. Getting people saved, yes, this is part of it. This is what we need to be doing, but it's just the first step. This is not uh, the finished work of, of discipleship. Maybe you've seen a, a nature special where they talk about like sea turtles, and they show the sea turtles on the beach, and uh, mama sea turtle, you know, digs a hole, uh, lays like a hundred eggs or something, and then takes off. And then later on, you know, they show that the, the little baby turtles are hatching, and they're, you know, popping up from the, the sand, and they're, they're darting towards, you know, as fast as their little uh, turtle legs can take them to the, to the ocean. And there's maybe like a hundred of these sea turtles uh, but it, it's terrifying watching this, you know, these videos. How many of you have seen, like, baby sea turtle? Look at some of you have. Because you know what happens is uh, not many of them actually make it. Because uh, mom is long gone. She laid the eggs, she took off, and now you got, you know, seagulls and different things coming down and snatching them. And you're lucky if, like, you know, just a, a few of these turtles actually get to the ocean. And even then, they may not make it after that. And so our goal, you wouldn't want to be a literal parent like that, you know, just abandon your kids and well, I hope they make it. Uh, just, you know, better have a lot. 
But also our point is not as, as Christians, let's try to get as many people saved and hopefully if they're really saved, hopefully it's the real deal and it sticks. Um, no, getting saved is the beginning of it. But we want to, just in the same way as when you bring a child into this world, uh, you've just signed up for a few decades of care and nurture because you're trying to help that it's a child to grow into the, the man or woman that uh, is, they're created to be. In the same way, we're born again, that initial moment of salvation, uh, but then it's the beginning of discipleship as we grow and God changes you, transforms you into a Christian man, Christian woman that, that he has created and called you to be. And it is a, a, a lifelong process of this happening. Now, we talk about evangelism first, should we talk about discipleship first? Uh, evangelism, we talk about that, that is our mission to those that are not saved yet. Those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, uh, those that are, they're not forgiven of their sin because they haven't embraced Jesus Christ, turning to him in repentant faith. And so part of uh, Go Make Disciples is evangelism. We are going to be talking about that uh, in this series in coming weeks. Um, we're talking about discipleship today. Jesus he made the first disciples and told them to make other disciples. So it's a, you think, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, evangelism, discipleship. But Jesus gave this command to his disciples, and we are to be disciples who make disciples. So what we're saying here is that discipleship starts with salvation, but it doesn't end there. We're supposed to keep growing. Second Peter 3:18. but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I quote the whole thing. This is a reminder to us that it's all about the glory of God ultimately. We're to grow in discipleship and ultimately it is for the, for the glory of God. You know, why, why is it that we are supposed to keep growing? Isn't it enough that you just get your get out of hell free card and now go on with your life the way that you want to. I mean, we do believe that salvation is by grace alone. Um, but, you know, we don't believe it's supposed to be you get a, your get, a, get out of hell free card and now just, you know, live your life just the way you were going to beforehand. Um, a changed life doesn't earn your salvation. We have to be really clear on that. Uh, but it is something that God does produce in us and something that we ought to be doing. We need to be growing. But I think the reason, well, at least one of the reasons why continuing to grow in our knowledge, in our love to the Lord is so important is because, well, God loves you so much and to just save you and just leave you as you are, even if it meant, okay, you don't have to go to hell and you get to heaven, you're not going to appreciate heaven all that much if God just left you with the same heart that, that you had before. I was thinking about it this way. Um, if I won a contest, and part of this contest, I received the reward of having a lifetime uh, supply at a, at a great seafood restaurant of free shrimp for the rest of my life, as much as I wanted to. There would be some of you that would say, that would be a fantastic thing. I wouldn't care. I don't like shrimp. Now, a lot of my family, they're like, that would be fantastic. They, they love it quite a bit. Uh, my wife and my daughter are smiling at me right now. Uh, but I don't like it. They're little, they're little sea monsters. 
You ever look at these things? It, they look like, like a space creature, like aliens. What are you doing? You're eating little sea creature aliens. I don't even think they're from this planet, you know, and just pop it in your mouth. I don't get it. I don't get it. My point is, if I were to win that prize, to some of you it would be a great thing. To me, I wouldn't care at all. I wouldn't even take advantage of it. If I was dying, okay, maybe. If it meant that I was going to starve to death versus eat shrimp, I guess I would eat shrimp, okay? But in order to appreciate this reward, I would have to have my desires changed, okay? I would have to be awakened to supposedly how good eating shrimp is. And here's the thing. If in the same way, okay, if God saved you and he saved you, not, it's not just so you don't have to go to hell, okay? In the same way, it's not so you just don't starve to death because, well, yeah, I guess you have shrimp and you don't really like it, but you, know, you can eat it and not starve to death. Okay, if your view of salvation is just you don't have to go to hell, but you're not really going to enjoy heaven, you're not going to enjoy because the Lord is there and you don't care much about the Lord, then the loving thing for him to do is to continue this work that he started when he gave you a born-again heart to change your attitude, to change your disposition, your affections. So now you love the right things, that you can love the reward, you can love what is going to ultimately give you satisfaction forever and ever and ever. And this will also bring you the, the joy and it brings God the, the glory as well. If I won, you know, the, uh, the shrimp reward and they are interviewing me on TV and saying, yeah, okay, I want some shrimp reward. This is stupid. I don't even like it. I wouldn't be, whatever restaurant this was wouldn't be too thrilled because I'm not actually bringing them a lot of glory through this. As it would be if somebody's like, this is great. I love it. So I'm going to eat this all day long. And also in this world, we wouldn't be bringing God glory for like, well, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But I'm not really too excited to see God. But if God changes us, so we also receive the, uh, the joy of knowing him, we can look forward to that, where he becomes our highest treasure in heaven, then not only does he have the glory from us in our heart, but it also it glorifies him in the world and those around us. Because they see, oh, this person views Jesus Christ as something supremely valuable. And that gives him glory as well. So he changes us so that we can we can love him. So it's, it's a process. It starts with salvation. It doesn't end there. And discipleship is a lifelong process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's part of what the goal is for us. He's what he's created us to be. Jesus is, is the perfect human being. He is the God-man. And he became a human being and is the perfect human being. And being transformed into his image, it doesn't mean that um, that we're worshipped like he is worshipped. It doesn't mean that we have all of the, um, you know, the, the, the powers. There's certain attributes of uh, the Lord that are not transferred to us, but we become like him in his character, in his loves. And uh, he enjoys uh, love and communion with, uh, with God, the, the Trinity, and has had that for, for all eternity. And so God is tuning our hearts so we can enter into that same joy and that same love, being like, being like Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of verses that, that do talk about this. Uh, Romans 8.29, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Another verse to look at 
2 Corinthians 3.18. Great verse about discipleship being ongoing. And it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Notice it's an ongoing thing. It keeps going. Into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's a lot we can unpack just from this verse. First, we see that this is a, a process. A f- term that we use is progressive sanctification, which seems like a mouthful, but if we break it down, we see what it means. Uh, there are some churches that believe that it can be an instant thing. You know, you have this experience and bam, you are totally sanctified. I've talked to people like that, that you're just flushed of all your sin and you're never going to sin again. It's just an instantaneous thing that happens. Uh, it doesn't. Biblically, it doesn't talk like that. Experientially, you have to be modifying your view of, of sin and living in fantasy land to think that you're just done with sin, like all sin, really? Because so much of it is just deep in our hearts. So it is a process. And that means there's going to be ups and downs in your Christian growth and, and downs, but it's like uh, over time, the ups are more than the downs. And hopefully, if you're the real deal as a Christian, that you are closer to the Lord and changed from what you were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And maybe sometimes it's hard to see and we slide back a little bit, but it's that constant, constant process as God is working in us. Sanctification just means to, to be made holy, to be made set apart for the Lord. Uh, to, scripture calls all Christians saints. And it doesn't mean like you're some special person in like the Catholic sense, uh, but it means you're, you're viewed as holy in the the Lord's eyes, and he is also making you more and more holy. We're called to holiness, genuine holiness. Not legalism, but becoming more and more like the Lord and living lives to please him. Notice in this verse it says, this happens as we behold God. It's not about just, okay, just the, the rules, and let's focus on that. If you, when you focus on the rules, it becomes about legalism. But if we recognize that God himself is the ultimate one we're looking at. And we see him, and it says, uh, beholding the, the glory of the Lord. Again, why God's glory is first and foremost. It's for the Lord's glory, and it's because of the Lord's glory. The more that you see and savor Jesus Christ, the more that we're transformed. You become like what you worship. If you worship idols, you're going to become like those things. You worship the things of this world, you're going to become like that. But if we, we worship the Lord, uh, not just in our singing, but with the love of our, our life here and through the week, we become more like him. We see him for who he is. And we see him as he's presented to us in, in Scripture. So we can see and savor Jesus Christ more and more. This is from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit works this process in our hearts. And this is why it's not a work. Uh, that we are involved in it, We're not called to be passive, but it's not your own strength. It is the Lord giving you the strength, working in and through you. And when you are a Christian, the moment that you are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you and starts transforming you from the inside out. And so this is just what happens. And whether you wanted that or not, when you become a Christian, you you have a born-again heart at that moment, and the Holy Spirit starts this work, this renovation work. But it usually happens from the inside out. And that's where lasting change comes from. God changing your heart, changing the, changing the well, not just what gets filtered later on. 
And then later on, it's going to come out. People are going to see these changes, not all at once, but slowly and over time. Sometimes quick in different areas, but it's going to be a lifelong thing. There's, the day you die, there's still going to be things that the Lord is working on in your life and that you're going to keep working on. And you ask Christians that have been Christians for a long time and growing, they'll say they, they realize sins that are deep in their heart that they wouldn't have realized uh, long ago. Heard it's like you know peeling a rotten onion. You keep finding different stuff like, oh, that's messed up. That's a bad attitude. That's idolatry. And it's kind of nice that God doesn't dump it all on us all at once. It'd be overwhelming. But he keeps helping us little by little to keep refining our lives and becoming more and more like Christ. With, again, the ultimate goal to be made like Jesus Christ. Can't look at every verse about discipleship. Uh, but it does involve heart change. But it does also involve change in our behavior, too. It does involve obedience. We love the Lord because of what he has done for us. He is changing our heart, and we want to live to, to please him. And so, uh, one, uh, Colossians 3, the whole thing is, is beautiful to look at, and I encourage you to read through uh, Colossians 3. Uh, but one key part of it uh, talks about this, this sanctification process in this way. It says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Notice it, it's still a process. It's not a once and done thing. Okay, your salvation is once and done, uh, but uh, this transformation is ongoing, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it does involve knowledge, that's true, but it also involves life, what we do and what we don't do as we get transformed into the image of our creator, who is the Lord, who is Jesus Christ. And so there are things, the old self, uh, before you were a Christian, the part of your, the old man, the old nature, that we need to get rid of. And that's no longer the essential you. That is no longer, that is not the stuff that is going to make it into heaven. And so might as well get rid of it now. It's dragging you down. It's keeping you in sin. It's keeping you from being who God created you to be. And just say, this is just who I am. No, if, if you're not taking that with you into heaven, it's not the essential you. And, and take it off. Get rid of it. But then put on the new self. Notice, uh, if we look at Scripture, the whole picture tells us it is God working through us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not your own power. But we are called to work with the Holy Spirit. There's things that we need to be doing. It's not just total passive, you know, float down the river. Okay? So two parts of this, take off and put on. Uh, I remember <laughs> a time when one of my uh, boys was uh, in kindergarten. I won't say who to, uh, to uh, protect uh, the story here. Uh, but it was a funny story. And uh, my son came home from kindergarten. He's, he's, he's giggling and he's laughing. And uh, I think he told Hope about this. Uh, but uh, something funny happened at school. And uh, he came home and said that he realized when he was at school that he was wearing two pair of underwear. And they showed hope, and he was wearing two pair of underwear. And what happened, he got dressed in the morning, again, like five years old, kindergarten, and, uh, you know, got to get dressed, put on a new pair of underwear. And he didn't take off his old pair of underwear <laughs> and just put on the new pair right over the top of it. It made me think that's sometimes what uh, we, what, what, what Christians do, and we shouldn't do that. It's not about just uh, 
take some good behaviors and put it over the top of your bad behaviors. Okay? That's, that's gross. And there are things that we're supposed to take off. We're supposed to take on our sin. It's not just adding Jesus, adding a few things uh, to, 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 to layer on to the life that's already there. Now, on the flip side, you know, we are supposed to take off our, our, the sin, the old life, but we're not supposed to be Christian nudists either, okay? You need to put on the new, put on uh, what you are supposed to be wearing, the righteousness, uh, the new self that God is creating you to be. So each of us, be thinking about what are still things in your life that you need to be working to take off? What are issues, habits, heart issues maybe that, that you see? Um, and maybe they're the, the things that the world would see as big things. Maybe the world wouldn't care about these things, but God does. You'll be looking and let the Lord help you to scan x-ray your heart and what's going on. Your heart, your behavior. And remember, it's not just outside things, but it's your heart too. But then also, what would he have you add to this? Um, it's not just a matter of that you don't sin. It's a, a chair doesn't sin, but it's not actually doing righteous things either. So it's not just a matter of reaching neutrality. It's growing and becoming like Jesus, doing the things we ought to be doing as well. So let Scripture guide you. When you read through Colossians chapter 3, there's a lot of examples there for you to think through. You know, it's been said, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. We can summarize Christianity as guilt, grace, and gratitude. We're guilty, we're saved by the grace of the Lord through Jesus Christ, and then we respond out of gratitude to him. It's not, our changed life is not the cause of our salvation, but it's the result of our salvation with God's help. So healthy church members... A healthy church has members who are committed to keep growing as Christians. Keep growing. I want to show you something. And maybe I need to apologize for this. I like to make messages that stick in your mind. Okay? This might stick a little bit too much. This might embed itself uh, in your memory. But that's, that's on purpose. I want this to be, to be sticky. I saw this a number of years ago. This was on a... It's a little video clip I'm going to show you um, from uh, a National Geographic uh, program. And this is about a man named Stanley Thornton. He's 30 years old. It's important to realize he's 30 years old. Uh, but he lives his life in a, um, a very different way. He has some, some issues. Let's uh, watch this. You can think about this. Um, Stanley, time to get up. Hey, Stanley, wakey, wakey. I like to play or be treated as a baby. Hi, puppy. Um, just to get the love and affection, safeness. Basically, just go back to a time where you're caring for a one or two year old, and uh, that's what it is for me. Okay. 29-year-old Stanley Thornton spends around half his life pretending to be an infant. He calls himself an adult baby. To step into Stanley and Sandra's modest home is to enter 
a fantasy world. Where a grown man plays with Legos, sucks on a pacifier, is spoon-fed, oh, no. uses baby talk, and even wears a diaper. It's a life of make-believe that many would consider taboo. So what do you think of that? If you're thinking, wow, there's, there's something wrong there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what issues uh, that guy has. But here's my point. If you're looking at that and now that's in, burned into your skull, <laughs> your memory, and you're thinking, wow, that would, that's a terrible thing. If we could see each other spiritually, what would we see? If we could look into the mirror and see ourselves spiritually, what would we see? And the very sad truth, I think, is across America, we would see all kinds of Christians that are very, very content to remain adult baby Christians. They're glad to you know, be saved, I guess. But to grow, to actually learn to uh, grow as, as a Christian, well, that's a lot of work, and it's more comforting to just remain in the baby stage. Now, I do want to point out that it is okay for a baby to be a baby when it's a baby. Right now we have a nursery, and it is full of babies. We're glad to be a church that has a lot of uh, ages and a lot of babies, and it is totally fine if the babies in the nursery are acting like babies, and we're not upset with them, you know, when they, when they mess themselves, uh, that they need someone to feed them. We get that. And the same way when somebody is, is born again, they're a new Christian, a young Christian, we can't expect instant maturity. And we need to make sure that we're giving patience with people. You know, when somebody becomes a Christian, there's going to be times uh, where it's, it's a long process. In the same way that maybe you wish your kids, you know, you can snap your fingers and a week later, um, you know, they're, they're potty trained and they're taking care of themselves, but it takes a while. In the same way, you know, new Christians, we just need to expect that. We need to give grace for that. But also to remain in that condition forever, you know, if somebody's in the nursery and, you know, they're there and they're, they're 30 years old being taken care of in the nursery in the same way, that's an issue. That something is wrong in that, that situation. So a, in a healthy church, healthy church members uh, aren't content to remain baby Christians. But in a lot of churches, they are. Give me what I already know. Don't challenge me. Don't tell me anything I don't already know. If I've been a Christian for all these decades and I don't know this already, it's probably not that important. And I'm just happy where I am. Leave me. Give it, soothe me. I come to church to be soothed, and that's it. No, God wants us to grow. That's what discipleship is. You think of a spiritual baby, um, <laughs> there's a lot of parallels with a, with a regular baby. As a baby grows it's going to learn to feed itself. We need to learn to, to feed ourselves as well, too, to not just be spoon-fed. We need to learn to walk, to learn to walk with Christ, learn to speak. Are you learning to speak about Christ, have conversations with him? A baby is going to learn right from wrong. We need to learn right from wrong according to God's word. We learn, need to learn to stop messing ourselves with sin. We need to learn to take responsibility mean to mature into adulthood, ultimately maturing into adulthood, 
eventually means being able to reproduce. We need to be able to be disciples that make disciples. We need to not be like the people that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. But brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. So question, are you committed to keep growing? So to be a church that is making constantly growing disciples and doing that, and the key way that we do that, and there might be other things, but this is the key way, and this is something that is absolutely non-negotiable, is it's through the Word of God. That we're doing this through the authority and the power of God's inerrant Word, through the Bible, through the Scriptures. You look at Scripture, you see that ultimately it is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that causes spiritual growth. Those things are together. The Spirit of God loves to work through this book that he has written and inspired uh, that we call the Bible. That is God's Word. And it is his, his tool that he uses to cause us to grow. Some passages. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Now this is written by Peter, not by Paul. He's using milk here in a slightly different way. He doesn't mean anything negative about it. But he's saying, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. The babies do need milk. And here he's using it as a, a metaphor, you read it in context, for the word of God, being nourished by it. And other places do talk about also spiritual meat as well, but we need to be knowledge by, by God's food, his teaching. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'm going to give a few statements to think how this ties into um, what we want to make sure that we are aiming for in our church, what I believe that uh, we are trying to live out, and what is going to help a church to, to be healthy. A healthy church has a high view of the Bible as God's word. And I wish I could say that's true of all churches, uh, but it's not. And there are churches that view the Bible as maybe containing God's word. Maybe it's in there from time to time, but a lot of it's just the word of man. And you've got to separate out the, the, the kernel from the chaff. And believe it's just basically, or sometimes just God, you know, human reflection upon God. No, we have a high view. We believe that scripture is God's word. That's not just a a phrase that we use, but it is God speaking to us. That, yeah, Scripture was written by, by Moses and by Peter and Paul and the other human authors, but ultimately, God, through the Holy Spirit, is directing what they wrote so that the Bible is also God's word to the original recipients and to you and I, that it is for us. And everything from Genesis all the way through Revelation, uh, this is the Word of God. We don't believe that we're detaching the Old Testament. There are some that are saying that today. That's just irrelevant and has some maybe embarrassing things in today's culture. So wouldn't it be easier if we just, let's ignore the Old Testament. We don't do that. It's still God's Word to us. We need to interpret it correctly, but it's God's Word. Mention the authority, the power of God's inerrant Word. So we believe in the authority of God's Word, that Scripture has authority over our lives because it is God speaking. 
And if God is the Lord and the creator of all things, he has authority. If he is speaking, that means it's not just suggestions. It means that we need to obey what it says, that we can't just blow this off. If we have an opinion that's different from what God teaches, we are the ones that need to change our opinion. He is an authority over us. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Again, I wish all Christians did, but they don't. We believe that Scripture is without error in everything that it teaches, everything that it affirms, that it doesn't make mistakes. It's not just right on the, the core key things, but, you know, around the edges. No, we believe everything that it, it teaches is true because, it's, again, it's God's Word. Is God making mistakes? Yes, he used human authors, but he worked through them so that they didn't make mistakes as they wrote down what he had them write down. We believe it is necessary, not optional. We believe it is clear that God wrote it so we can understand it. Yeah, we need to work in our Bible study methods and reading it in context, and not just anything we think is the truth, but it is not some mysterious code. It's not that you need some special uh, person with special access that you could never understand the Bible on your own. You need me to, uh, as your, your priest here to interpret it for you. No, we can understand it. We, we want you, I want you in the Word of God, reading it, trying to understand it for yourself. Don't just trust me. Read what I'm saying and verify uh, what I'm saying by the Word of God because that's the ultimate authority. And it's sufficient, it's enough. Let me give you something else. Believe that a healthy church has a healthy diet, a steady healthy diet of what's called expository preaching. Now, there's there's different type of preaching that's out there. And there's um, some where most Christians are, churches are going to use the Bible somewhere. They're going to, you know, sprinkle a few verses here and there. But expository preaching is like what we do most of the time here, where we're working through, let's say, a book of Scripture, working through, uh, you know, the book of Colossians or whatever it is. And basically, you know what's coming next week because it's basically the next paragraph or the next few verses, and we're just working through it. It's not just taking a verse here and there, and you read a verse, and then the pastor you know, says just whatever is on his heart or whatever he wants to say, or you know, taking some things from the news or from some self-help books. It, in expository preaching, it's about explaining what is the message that is in whatever text that you are looking at and try to unpack that. And the message of the sermon, the goal is for it to be the actual message that is in uh, that part of scripture. Correctly understood, put in context. Now explained, uh, given applications you know, for us, but the message is supposed to be what is in the scripture. And to have a healthy church, you need a healthy diet of that. And this way, it is God setting the agenda. This way, it is God picking the topics of what um, we're going to be talking about. And that way, too, you know, if it comes up and we're working through Scripture and all of a sudden it's about uh, church conflict or or lying or whatever it is, uh, you don't have to think, well, a pastor's just doing this because he's doing a message against me. Well, no, we're working through the, the book. And that's what came up. Hey, God wants us to hear it. It also means there's going to be things that I have to uh, talk about uh, that are maybe not what I would have picked on my own. 
You know, it keeps the pastors from just, you know, they're, they're little hobby horses. And we have to deal with so, so the hard passages too, the things that confront us as well. So we believe we should do that Old and New Testament. I think I've said in the past, I think, if you think of like the food pyramid, you know, back in the old days, I know right now, you know, low carbs and all that. But you say the food pyramid, you had like grain at the bottom and that most of your diet and then whatever it was. Um, uh, I ignore the vegetable part. Uh, But you think of, you know, food pyramid, it would be for us to be like, you know, New Testament. Okay, because we're in the New Testament, but we don't blow off the Old Testament. That's really important too. But we also believe that there is a place for, I don't like saying topical, because most churches, if they have topical, it's some kind of shallow, you know, 10 steps for a happier parking space or whatever. Um, but we teach, do like doctrinal series. You know, I think there's a place for that, where you pull together what scripture as a whole says about something. And there's going to be special messages here and there. Now, of course, I'm talking about this, and maybe you've thought to yourself, uh, yeah, pastor, but uh, this message here, is not a expository message. You know, you're using a lot of scripture and unpacking it, but you're not working through a book of the Bible. And that's true. So I realize the irony here. But I think there's a place for it. But I also thought to myself, you know what? I've been here nine full years now going into year 10. And I've said in the past uh, that I, I think probably at least two-thirds to 75% you know, of messages should be you know, expository working through scripture. And I thought, well, I should check, what have we actually been? So I went through the sermon records and I, I made some categories and charts, you know, which were working through a New Testament book, an Old Testament book, which were doctrinal. And then there's others, you know, there's some one-shot, you know, VBS messages or holiday messages that maybe weren't part of things. And I calculated. And so before this series started, this is where it uh, how it broke down, just in case you're wondering, see how we're doing here. And so it's hard to read this, but New Testament expository messages were, ended up being 45%. I counted 438 total, just AM messages done by either me or one of the other pastors or um, Dr. Rogers. So I didn't include missionaries or special guest speakers. But out of 438 AM sermons, 199 we're working through a New Testament book. And 127 were from the Old Testament. So you had 29%. And so there's a chunk there that's doctrinal. But also the doctrinal series we're doing usually are kind of robust. You know, the fear of God, the Trinity, attributes of God, union with Christ, and then a few other miscellaneous, you know, holiday messages, which are still scriptural, but, you know, maybe you know, talking about an Easter passage if it's not part of an ongoing series or VBS messages. So I was happy to see that the total for expository is 74.4% that we've been doing uh, for the past nine years. In a healthy church, members put themselves under God's word. And so this is something that we need to all be doing and have this attitude of putting ourselves under the word of God. And I think part of this is our gathered time together here as um, one of the pastors presents the Word of God to you. It's not the only time you're under the Word of God, but it is one of our key times. In Scripture, uh, it talks about in Acts 2, 
42, and they devoted them, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. This is the apostles' teaching. We, we are not apostles, but we are trying to relay to you the message that is from the apostles and written down. And that's our goal. And that's why we do expository preaching for the most part. And even the other messages, hopefully it's, you can tell it's from Scripture, just drawn together from the Bible as a whole. But this is our key point where we want to be sitting under the Word of God. And we do believe that, that preaching, teaching the Word of God here changes lives. But we want to realize that it's going to work better um, you know, myself or Pastor Zach or whoever's preaching, we can do the best that we can and we try to, but there's things on your end as well too that can make it better or not as good. And just some little tips. Some of these are obvious, but you know, being in the worship center is going to help a lot more than if you're, uh, if you're not here. If you're not around or if you're um, just, uh, you know, wandering the halls, you know, just being in the building, you're not going to absorb it. Being in the worship center can really be, is really important to this. Um, I think it's even, uh, you know, different than just watching it, you know, on, online too. I hope people do that, but I hope they can make it when they can. If you're watching this online, I hope you can make it to us. I think there's times where you might find that the more that you can put distractions out, the more helpful that is. And sometimes that might mean, you know, sitting closer. Sometimes, you know, I know they say, you know, back row Baptists. Uh, but sometimes, you know, the closer you can get, the more helpful that might be. I know sometimes there's reasons to be in the back or with kids, but I think also removing distractions, not having, you know, your phone be a distraction to you. Um, you know, if you need to, you know, use the, the nursery so that uh, you can have your, your attention here. You'll be a better parent to your kid because, you know, you're taking in the word of God. Preparing your heart. That's a big thing. If you come in, your heart's full of distractions, your heart's in the wrong place, you know, it's going to be hard for the Word of God to, you know, hit that soil because your heart isn't ready. You know, do you pray ahead of time? Do you try to put, to, you know, uh, things that are either distractions or bitterness or whatever, you know, out so that you can receive what God is teaching you? I think following your Bible, especially when we're working through a series um, in Scripture, by the way, we're doing this series and we'll do Christmas messages. Um, my plan is to do work through 1 John after New Year, so we'll be doing that. I encourage taking notes, even if you never look at them again. The act of writing them down, engaging with your mind, is going to help you get more out of it. You know, if you're only hearing like every, you know, third sentence, or just, you know, when I say something that perks you up uh, with an, a story or an illustration, you're not going to get a, a, the same out of it as if you're consistently paying attention to the, to the whole message. And then meditating on it, you know, going from a continuing to think about what God is saying through his word. And also being here every week as often as possible. You know, messages build on each other. And I hope if you can't be here, or if you're serving in the nursery or on safety team or traveling, you watch it online. I hope I'm not doing messages that are just throwaway messages that, well, if you miss it, you didn't miss anything. If that's the case, I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting your time too. So I hope that you do your best to be here consistently. And I think you'll find you're going to get more out of each message too than if it's just hit and miss once in a while. There's also the attitude of being under the word of God in the sense of 
we're under it. We don't stand over the word of God. We are, we are judged by God's word. It is authority over us. We are not the judge of it. And that's an attitude that we need to have when we say being, putting themselves under the word of God. The word of God, it's, it's been said, it's not just for our information, but for our transformation. And so if it tells us something, we need to obey it. We need to live it out and do it. And also, in a healthy church, members are encouraged and equipped to feed themselves as well. Not in an independent, I don't need the church type of way, but we want you also in the word of God. And that's also why we, I think, do things together like, okay, Wednesday Bible studies. Um, And I lead the men with that. And a big part of why I love doing Bible study on Wednesdays, it's uh, our main way of doing men's discipleship, it's not just you're going to learn truths from 2 Corinthians, but by doing it, the goal is that you're learning how to handle Scripture yourself, how to read it, to understand it with the flow of thought, how to understand what was originally meant to the authors and how it applies to us then as well. Feeding themselves, personal Bible study, good theological books, finish here. Back to where we started. A healthy church has members who are continuously growing their knowledge, love, and obedience to God's word. Are you growing? Is that your goal? Let's grow together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you that you did not just save us and leave us, Lord God, but you saved us just as we are, but you are at work through your word by the Holy Spirit to transform us into the the men and women that you've created us to be, Lord God. May we glorify you more, treasure you more, conform ourselves to Jesus Christ, and may we put ourselves under the authority of you through your word. Thank you that you are God that has not remained silent, but you have spoken to us. Thank you for the foundation that we have in your word. May we build our lives upon it and our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.